The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food health, and agriculture. And I'm delighted today to welcome a friend and a colleague, Diane Welland, who has been a dietitian for over two decades and is a very talented, a very thorough, and investigative writer herself. Diane, welcome. Hello, Melinda, and thank you very much for that introduction. And Let me tell you, I'm really delighted to be here. Well, I'm delighted with your new book, and I had to have you on, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Eating Clean. So the first question I have to ask you is, right, what is eating clean? Well, I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people ask me that question. So I want to just kind of go through There's uh, the concepts of eating clean so that you know. Uh, Basically, eating clean is eliminating or pretty much minimizing all processed foods, kind of ditching the processed foods, manufactured foods. I like to say that anything in a box, bag, can, or package is what I call processed foods. And the focus then is on whole, natural, healthy foods, a lot of fruits and vegetables, grains, legumes, fresh meat and poultry. That means eliminating pre-seasoned meats or pre-cooked meats and things like that. That's basically the crux of eating clean, the main component. And then there's also other things. For example, you would be choosing unrefined foods over refined foods. So that means you would be choosing whole grain over white grain, you know, for example, whole grain rice over white rice whole wheat flour over white flour. In the book, there's actually no white flour and no white sugar. All the recipes use unrefined forms of that. Well, I should let our readers know that this book is really divided into two parts. And the first part is the ABCs of being clean and how to eat clean and why and the seven simple steps, which I'm going to ask you about here in just a moment. But part two is really, you told me there were about 140 recipes in here, and I had also asked you about prep time, and I really like that each recipe has a prep time, a cook time, as well as the nutritional breakdown. So that's really helpful for, you know, you're a mom, you've got kids and a full-time job. For those of us who are struggling to balance work and family, it's fantastic to have this kind of resource. So tell me, what are the seven simple steps to eating clean? Well, seven simple steps to eating clean. Like I, I, I was mentioned to you the first one, which would be minimizing or reducing all processed foods. Okay. Choosing unrefined foods over refined foods, definitely. There's also another component of the diet, which would be choosing that the foods are naturally balanced. Therefore, it's not over the top when it comes to, uh, they're not overloaded with fat, salt, and sugar. They actually are very balanced. So they have some protein, some carbohydrate, some fat in them, but not too much of any one of these things. 
which is really important. So that's another concept of the diet. Then the portion sizes, again, going with the naturally balanced meals, are not too large. The meals also, the meal pattern is three meals with two or three snacks a day. That's a good idea. So you're eating small meals and you're eating fairly substantial snacks, I would say. The snacks are not as big as the meals, but they're substantial enough that they include both protein and carbohydrate in each one of them. So uh, whether it be like a hummus or hummus and crackers or fruit and yogurt uh, or something of that nature that would be a combination of both a protein and a carbohydrate. And that's important in terms of maintaining satiety and so that we don't get so, you know, super hungry. Is that your understanding as well? Definitely. And um, a lot of the meals are high in fiber, Mm. which is really important as well because that promotes satiety. And even though they're small, you know, they maybe have few calories, that doesn't mean that they're small in size because you can have a fair amount of food, and if it's nutrient-dense food but also low in calories, it's still a good portion size. Right. For some of the salads, for example, were just huge. The spinach salad with strawberries and a sprinkle of feta cheese and some nuts on top, I mean, that's a great salad, and it's a, and it's a, it's a really hefty portion and good salad for lunch. So um, that's very important. So the mini meals, minimizing your meals, meaning you're, and you're not eating large amounts of food at one, one sitting, you're not skipping meals, so you also have that blood sugar balance too. Right. Satiety, you, you have your blood sugar le- levels stay evenly keeled, and so that helps energize you throughout the day, which is good. The next one is it's a, it's a lifestyle. So as a lifestyle, there's a physical activity component. So I encourage people to get out and be active. Uh, If you can exercise five to six times a week, that would be great. I mean, if you can only get to maybe three to four times a week, that's fine too. But be active. Do something, whether it be going to the gym or uh, just going up, climbing upstairs and just constantly be physically active, which which also is important for a healthy lifestyle. So this is not only eating clean, it's living clean. Right. Definitely all of those things. And I believe that that's seven. Is that seven? I should have been keeping a tally, but I wasn't. <laughs> I, I figured you can just tick them off and then we'll move on. I'm really interested in your handling of sugar in this book. Mm-hmm. You know, many of the recipes call for a product called Sucanat. Right. And I wonder, that's really difficult I I have to say, you know, I do use sugar. I use organic sugar because I don't want, I know that a lot of sugar cane is grown with atrazine, which is a a toxic pesticide, gets in our groundwater, stays there a long time. And I don't want to use beet sugar because so much of the sugar beets anymore are genetically modified. So I'm always looking for alternatives, although I'm not you know, necessarily opposed to white sugar. I really want my sugar to be organic. Mm-hmm. And now you've got, though, a list of sugars in here, and you include honey, you include agave syrup, you include maple syrup. Talk to me about your philosophy about sugars. 
Okay. I think it's important, you know, as the concept of the book is minimizing processed foods, again, I stayed away from white sugar. Sure. But sugar is sugar is sugar. And in the body it acts similar, whether it be honey or whether it be white sugar. The point is is to not have too much of it. But the sugars that I chose were the ones that are least processed. They're also the ones that are found more naturally in our evolution as, as humans. For example, honey. You know, bees make honey. Right. Maple syrup get from the trees in, in Vermont. So those ones, agave nectar, which is a fairly new sugar on the market but really is not a new sugar, comes from a cactus, uh, the agave plant, which is in... Mexico, and that's the same plant we get tequila from. Right. So, <laughs> so it's not anything that's new, and, and these are sort of natural forms of sugar. I also use uh, date sugar. Dates are actually the most concentrated sweet or sweetest fruit that we have. So it was interesting to find date sugar. It wasn't. You can actually find it online, but it's not always the easiest to find. No, it's not. Like, I have to go to our local health food store in order to find date sugar, for example. And I'm wondering, you know, I think that most women who are the gatekeepers, really, mostly of the food system in their own homes, probably like this concept of clean eating. But I want to make it so that it's, you know, how can we make it the easiest to follow if we can't find some of these sweeteners in our local supermarket, for example. And I would go with organic sweeteners or and sweeteners that you can recognize as the least processed. Right. Um, which would be, you know, raw, sugar in the raw, sugars that look like they're not so shiny and uniform or, you know, purified kind of thing. So that would be an option. But there's two things to remember when it comes to sugars. One is that you really don't want to use a lot of sugar. Right, no matter what form. No matter what it is, even the sugars that are the most concentrated, like like honey and maple syrup, if you think about them, we really only had them a certain time of the year. Right. Uh, bees only produced honey. It was a seasonal item. Uh, maple syrup's a seasonal item. We only had that you know, for a short period of time. And so we limited our, our sugar intake naturally because it was a seasonal item. And the second thing is, is some of these sugars are more expensive than, say, plain old white sugar. Right. Um, but that also, when, when I was doing the book and I was using a lot of these sugars, it made me think twice about using the sugars. And I think that sometimes we take it take for granted sugar, flour, and because we take it for granted, we use it excessively sometimes. I agree with you. It's cheap, it's plentiful. It's cheap and it's plentiful, so you can throw handfuls in and not worry about it. <laughs> right. And when it's when it costs a little more, when it when it's a little bit harder to get, when you have to travel further to get it, when it costs a little bit more to get it, you actually value it more. Uh, when I look at a recipe now and it says two cups of sugar, and I know, wow, this sugar cost me a little bit more than 
not that cheap, and, and, it, and I had to go a further distance to get it. And I'm going to think, do I really want to make this recipe that has two cups of sugar in it? Is it going to be overly sweet? Am I going to really like it? So I sort of start evaluating things, and I kind of look at it in a different way. And it makes me, I think it makes me appreciate sugars more, actually, and sweetness more. I don't use it so without thinking, so recklessly. I agree with you. I think you make a really good point. And I think the same thing could be said about the protein sources that we have. You know, we've got all this relatively cheap meat, although certainly all food prices are increasing, but relatively compared to people living in other parts of the world, our food is relatively inexpensive. Of course, our health care costs are higher, so it all comes out in the wash, I guess. But, you know, in terms of protein, you know, you've got a little section here on protein power and how much protein do we really need. And I think people often get tripped up about, gosh, you know, how much protein should I be taking supplements? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I am not a fan of supplements. I really don't think that we need to take supplements. And I think that we can get all our protein needs from the foods that we eat. Uh, we really don't have extremely high protein needs, even unless you're, you know, an Olympic athlete, uh, your protein needs can easily be met by the foods that you And it's interesting, I have been planning some clean menus, and I plan only portions no bigger than four ounces at a time, and not necessarily four ounces of meat at every meal, Certainly not. There's days when I, I, you know, say a seven-day menu, and there's certainly days that I don't have meat on the menu. And when I do the nutrient analysis, I always come up with very nice, fairly high, but not too high, protein numbers. So it's really easy to get enough protein from meat sources. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the clean protein sources would be fresh meats, again, as I mentioned to you, not pre-seasoned meats, not pre-cooked meats. But there's also something else to look at. And I mentioned it in the book in one of the recipes, I believe I was talking about choosing fresh meats, is that some of the meats are now injected with solutions, 15% or 10% salt solutions or sugar solutions, kind of to plump them up. And you'd want to avoid that. I recommend passing those by and trying to find fresh meat that doesn't have these extra ingredients in them, which actually just increases the sodium level. If you look at the label, you'd even notice that sodium levels are significantly higher on these type of products versus fresh meat, which doesn't have any injections in them. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Diane Welland, who is a registered dietitian and the author of a brand new book called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Eating Clean. And we are talking about how to ditch the processed foods and get our fill of nutritious, all-natural foods. We've been talking about protein, so I want to bring something up here, and that is, you know, one of the issues for me about clean eating is I don't want to purchase meat that comes from a factory farm where the animals have been pumped up with or given any kind of hormone implants or given uh, genetically modified food or given antibiotics in their feed. To me, clean meat has to do with the way the animal is raised and how the animal is fed. So, 
you know, from my perspective, I always look for the organic label on meat. What is your thinking on that, Diane? I agree with you 100%, Melinda. I would recommend that if people can, you know, if it's not an issue of budget, if there aren't any other issues that they're concerned about, to to go for the organic meats. Personally, I choose organic meats as much as I can. That's just something that I think is really important, and you know that they don't have any antibiotics in them, any any excess salt or sugar or anything like that, and you know that they're fresh and clean. Exactly, and that the animals have not been fed any genetically modified foods or any grains that have been treated with synthetic pesticides. Absolutely. You know, what I really love about your book is that it covers each of these segments so well. You've got a segment on biotechnology. You've got a little paragraph here on BPA. Just enough to say, whoa, beware, we don't want this in our diet. And we just um, not long ago had an interview actually with one of the researchers at the University of Missouri who studies BPA. We should let our listeners know what BPA is and what your concerns are. BPA, bisphenol A, is found in the, the cans as well. And I think it's something we should be concerned about because we really don't know exactly what it does, but we do know that it affects the endocrine system. It is an endocrine disruptor, which means it affects our hormones. And we don't know what the long-term effects are uh, with long-term exposure. And we are exposed to it typically in canned foods. So for this reason, I would recommend minimizing or trying to avoid, if you can, canned foods. There is some manufacturers out there that now have BPA-free canned products. Uh, I think Eden Foods yes. is one of them. Yes. Right? Um, and the only time this really becomes more difficult is when you're dealing with things that take, have like a long cooking time, like beans right. and tomato sauce. And again, those are sort of like more areas where it's it's harder to avoid using canned products. Pretty much everything else you can. You don't need to use canned vegetables and canned fruits. Really, if you eat seasonally, you really don't. There's really not a need for canned fruits. Right. You know what I learned today was that the soda cans, like the Coke cans, mm-hmm. they have BPA in the lining. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was I. That was new information to me as well. So it's just one more reason not to drink soft drinks, and, <laughs> right? They're not right. clean. They're they, not included in the clean eating diet. They are not included in the clean eating. Yeah. In fact, I didn't really talk too much about beverages, but basically the beverages that you would be drinking would be the kinds that you naturally drank, that man naturally drank in his early years, I guess you'd say, things like water, Tea is a very big clean beverage. Yes. Uh, unsweetened tea. Not the kind you get, you know, in a bottle that's just full of sugar that's very close to soda, actually. But unsweetened tea, milk, uh, is a uh, low fat milk or skim milk. But one of my favorite beverages is unsweetened soy milk. Oh, really? And I really like it because it doesn't, a lot of the soy milk is actually has sugar added to it. And I didn't really realize this until I started reading labels and and looking at ingredients. Uh, But there is unsweetened soy milk out there. And it's very natural. It's got a very 
mild taste, kind of very clean. And I actually use it a lot in the book because it doesn't have a lot of sugars. And when you're controlling your sugars, I found that the dairy products actually can be fairly high in sugars because they have milk sugar in them. Even though they don't taste sweet, they rack up the sugar grams. Hmm. Um, so that that's something to... That's something to think about. Well, you know, I've always um, advised consumers when they're looking at soy milks, if they choose to consume them, to make sure that they use organic soy because, again, we want to try to avoid the genetically modified soy as much as possible. Yes, and most of those, the brand that I used was organic soy milk. You know, if you go to stores like Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, you know, those are your best best bets for getting these kinds of products. Well, let's talk a little bit about the recipe section because I know that you do a lot of recipe writing. You certainly have before you wrote this book, Mm -hmm. and I know that that's one of your fortes, and your husband is a chef, and so the two of you make a great team. Do you have a favorite recipe in this book? You know, there's so many favorite recipes that I have in this book. I think that I would probably, the best I can do is narrow it down to different sections. For example, in the breakfast area, there is a cereal, uh, it's called a tropical kasha cereal blend, and it is just a wonderful cereal. It was one of my favorite recipes in the breakfast section, and you make this multi-grain mixture, and the multi-grain mixture has brown rice, wheat berries, barley, millet. And then it has a little bit of cinnamon, a little maple syrup, a little bit of walnuts, and you kind of you cook these and you let it dry out. So it's not completely dry like a crunchy cereal, but it is. It's not moist. It's not wet. So it lasts a long time in the refrigerator. And the tropical kashi blend uses the multigrain as a base, and then you add bananas and mango and coconut to it. Mm. And it is just a wonderful cereal. You can have it with milk, like a regular bowl of cereal cold, or you can heat it up and have something warm, like akin to like an oatmeal type, mm-hmm. very nutty. And you can actually substitute any other fruits. The, the mango works well, and again, you can put the mango in it, and it actually will keep in the refrigerator for over a week, easy. And what's your favorite dinner recipe in here for the harried working mom who still wants to put wholesome, clean food on the table. And that would be in the 30-minute section. And one of my favorites in there, well, you know, there's actually a lot of favorites. There's a really nice whole wheat pasta recipe, which is pasta with broccoli, and it uses a ground pork. It makes similar to a sausage feel with fennel seed and onion garlic and pork. And that's a really nice, quick dish. There's one that's called a catfish with roasted sweet potato hash, and it is one of my favorites. It's really easy to do. The sweet potatoes are cut in a really small dice. It uses edamame, and it's a one-pan-type dish. You roast the sweet potatoes, and you cook up the edamame, throw them in there, and then when they're cooked, which only takes about 10, 15 minutes, you cover them, and then when they're cooked, you uncover it, you move them off to the side, and then you put the catfish next to it, and you put it in the broiler and cook them all again. 
And because they're small cut, they, they get really tender. And you drizzle it with maple syrup and a little thyme. Um, and it's, a, it's one of my favorites. It's just And it's like an all-in-one dish. It's so pretty. It's got green and orange and the catfish. Well, Diane, I have to tell you, our time, unfortunately, has come to a close. But I want to let our listeners know that we've been speaking with Diane Welland, who is a dietitian and the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Eating Clean. I had asked Diane before we started if she would leave us with a charge, and you said, yes, eat fresh foods first. So I want to leave our listeners with that. I want to recommend that consumers go and check out the book because it has some really great ideas and it's easy to read, lots of tips on how to get um, your, your meals to be clean and your family to be more healthy. Diane, thank you so much for being with us and I want to thank our listeners for being with us too. You have been listening to Food Sleuth Radio, which is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Melinda.